0: WHPK 88.5 radio. Radio,
1: radio, 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 radio
0: This is Apple Bindad speaking, the genie of the pot machine. Who am I? I am sweet and sticky, like a candy bar, with nuts and a creamy filling. And in the interest of truth protection and bullshit detection, I'll melt in your mind and not in your hair. And I'll check to see if you've got any cooties in there. I am chocolate-coated, freaky, and habit-forming. Fighting cognitive decline, one show at a time. On WHPK-FM Radio, 88.5 on the dial. It's the pride of the South Side. (laughs) Ranger Station, Ranger speaking.
2: Hi, um, I'd like to report a bear hug.
3: Uh Uh-huh, okay.
2: Well, we were building a bonfire, and I I saw some, like, dry brush and leaves around, so, you know, I, I said to move the bonfire somewhere else, and out of nowhere, Smokey Bear shows up and hugs me.
3: So you noticed some wildfire hazards and moved your bonfire to a safer location. Yeah. Yeah, that's Smokey, all right. He likes it when people help prevent wildfires. It hits some close to home. Not everybody gets the hug, my friend. So that's pretty special to get a hug from Smokey Bear. Ah,
1: huh, so it was him. Hey, guys,
2: I told you it was Smokey.
3: Okay, well, congratulations, my friend.
2: And thanks for calling.
3: There are many ways to prevent a wildfire. Learn how you can do your part at SmokeyBear.com. Only you can prevent
2: wildfires. Sponsored by the U.S. Forest Service, Ad Council, and your state forester.
4: Go get her, Ray! Gozer the Gozarian. Good evening. As a duly designated representative of the city,
2: county, and state of New York, I order you to cease any and all supernatural activity and return forthwith to your place of origin, or to the nearest convenient parallel dimension. That
4: ought to do it. Thanks very much, Ray.
5: Are you a god?
2: No. Then.
0: Ray, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say, yes! (laughs)
1: Oh, <laughs> my Thank <laughs> you.
0: WHPK
5: 88.5 Radio.
2: Ready. So when you get to the corner of Smith and Orchard, you're going to want to take You're not going to Then what you're going to do is turn onto Marcy Avenue, just Red. broke up, and go past and the first three lights and then it. take the next left. I don't
0: really think 5 she's happy, but you should be the right there. to right
2: judge, right? Park anyway, on the right. That's I'll what see I last night.
3: It's hard to concentrate on two things at once, like texting and driving. Stop the text. Stop the wrecks. How will you stop texting and driving? Tell us
2: at stoptextstoprex.org. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council. Spider-Man,
0: Spider-Man. First Aid Comics, 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 is where you go to get caught up on heroes from your past and new characters who will inspire you to tell your friends about First Aid Comics, Comics, Comics at 55th Street in Cornell in Hyde Park. Call one 75 comic That's 1-773-75-C-O-M-I-C. like a
1: streak of night. He arrives just in time. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, friendly neighborhood Spider-Man.
3: From Hollywood, it's time now for... Johnny Duller.
6: Lieutenant Garcia, Johnny. Are the boys in the police car still
3: there? There are three police cars here now. They've searched the apartment house from top to bottom. Any luck? No, Eddie got away. I didn't dare make a move to stop him. He was going to shoot his sister. Well,
1: we'll get him, Johnny. Don't
3: worry about it. I don't intend to. My job now is to locate $100,000 worth of stolen furs, not to go after Eddie Money. It's the same job, isn't it? Probably. Did you see that list of his friends Carla gave me?
6: I just put out an APB to bring them in.
3: Good. They weren't all in on that warehouse robbery, but some of them were. If
6: they were, we'll tag them. We've got an interrogation room down here to sort the sheep from the
3: goats. Yeah, I know. But first got to catch your goats. Tonight, and every weekday night, Bob Bailey in the transcribed adventures of the band with the action-packed expense account America's fabulous freelance insurance investigator... Yours truly, Johnny Dollar. <laughs> From Special Investigator Johnny Dollar, location Los Angeles, California, to the Home Office Mono Guarantee Insurance Company, Hartford, Connecticut. Assignment, the Silver Blue matter. Expense account continued. Mm-hmm. Item 12, two cents for the way I felt. I hung up the phone and walked to the window, stood there looking out into the street. The police were leaving the apartment to carry their search for fugitive Eddie Monte into wider territory. And Eddie's sister, Carla, sat huddled in a corner, forlorn, beaten, brokenhearted. From the window, too, the view was anything but cheerful. Dirty, cluttered streets lined by row-on-row sagging tenements, drab and gray in the weakening light of late afternoon. This was the slums that had spawned Eddie Monty, raised and nurtured him, made him into a member of a gang, and had now sent him fleeing from the police with a gun in his hand. And the same slum had bred the others of the gang who'd robbed a warehouse of 80 silver-blue mink coats, slugged night watchman Albert Grisman into a near-death coma, and had murdered a man who'd tried to give them away.
5: Why, Johnny? What got into him? Why is he ending up this way? I
3: wish I could tell you, Caroline.
5: I did something wrong. That's it, of course, but, but what? Forget
3: it. You did all you could. It
5: wasn't enough.
3: Well, sometimes nothing is enough. And nobody knows exactly why.
5: I loved him. I, I never thought of him as, as just a nuisance of a kid brother the way a lot of girls do. Now,
3: look, you did more than anybody could expect. You were a pretty young kid when your folks died. Too young to have to take on the responsibility of raising a teenage brother.
5: But I tried. I tried hard. And I thought I was doing all right until lately. But now this. So
3: it didn't work. And what's happened is breaking your heart. Well, that can't be changed. But just remember this one thing you did the best you could. And that's all anybody can do. So don't blame yourself.
5: Tell me something, Johnny. Yeah. You're wearing a gun. I don't think Eddie knew it when he ran from here. Maybe you couldn't have used it to disarm him. Not
3: when he was on the verge of killing you.
5: But you could have drawn it and killed him. He was careless. He gave you several chances. Why didn't you? I don't know. Thank you, Johnny.
3: I'd like to look through Eddie's room if you don't mind.
5: All right. I'll go with you. This way. It's down the hall. Thanks. Somehow, I still can't believe it. Not the killing, at least. Eddie is just not that kind. Well,
3: a kid gets under pressure sometimes and gets pushed overboard. Maybe we'll know more when they pick him up.
5: What if he... What if he tries to resist arrest?
3: You know the answer to that.
5: Oh, I hope he doesn't. Well, here it is. This has been Eddie's room since he was 13. It ought to tell something.
3: The main thing at the moment is to find something that tells where he might go to hide out. I've also got $100,000 worth of furs to locate.
5: You you go ahead and look around. Whatever you want. Okay, thanks. I'll be in the living room. You you call me if you want me.
3: For the sake of company, I switched on a beat-up record player in the corner. And I looked at six years of a boy's life. Accumulated in one room. Comic books, hot rod magazines, school mementos, knickknacks, photographs—junk mostly—to anybody but the owner. I went through all of it, and through the drawers and chests, and through his clothes. Nothing. I looked over the photographs stuck in the mirror, tacked on the wall. Some of the names on the boy's pictures were the same as those on the list Carla had given to the police. There were a few pictures of girls, and a lot of pictures of hot rods. I picked up an envelope of loose photographs lying in the dresser. They were views of a second-hand panel truck. And in all of the pictures, Eddie was standing beside the truck with obvious pride of ownership. One of the views showed the front license plate. I turned the envelope over. The film had been developed less than two weeks before. I called Carla back into the room and asked her about it.
5: No. No, I didn't know he had a car, or a truck, rather.
3: It may not be his, but I'll lay odds that it is. That look on his face is a dead giveaway.
5: I don't know. He sure kept it a secret. He never brought it here once.
3: Do you recognize the background in those pictures?
5: No. No, I don't. It looks like a storage yard or an industrial place of some kind, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, I'd call it that. Do you mind if I take these with me?
5: Of course not. why?
3: The gang had to use something to haul those furs away from the warehouse. But
5: if... Eddie was keeping the truck a secret from me. It was because he was planning to use it for the robbery.
3: That one or some other one?
5: Johnny. He was in on it all along. Look, Carla. I've
3: got a hunch Eddie is the leader of that gang.
5: Oh, no. I think the truck
3: was used in the robbery, and I think when we find it, we'll find the furs and we'll find Eddie. See you later, Carla. Expense account item 13, $1.85. Taxi fare from Carla's apartment to the police headquarters office of Lieutenant Garcia.
6: Come in. Oh, Johnny, I've been trying to locate you.
3: Oh, what's up?
6: We picked up two of those kids on Carla Monte's list. Friends of Eddie's. Wow, that's a start. Not with one of them. He's in the clear. Perfect alibi. We have something on the other one, though. Want to help me talk to him?
3: Yeah, sure. Sure. Oh, say, here are some photographs I picked up in Eddie's room a while ago. We should take a look at them, Garcia. All right, let's see them. The pictures were taken about two or three weeks ago. Now, if this truck is his, his sister doesn't know about it.
6: Well, he sure got that owner look on his face. Yeah, he sure has.
3: That second one there shows the license number, see?
6: Yeah, yeah, I see it. You think they
3: might have used this in the robbery, Johnny? It's a possibility. And we're not exactly swamped with Angles. I was wondering, too, if you happen to recognize that background behind the truck.
6: No. no, oh, but it looks like it might be down in that area somewhere, the warehouse district.
3: Look, why don't you get some copies made, circulate them, and see if any of your boys can tag the place. Oh, you
6: insurance dicks do get ideas sometimes.
3: Oh, you'd be amazed.
6: All right, I'll do it. And now let's go down and talk to that kid.
3: Interrogation room 519 was on the fifth floor. Hair walls painted gray, a business-like room without a dormant or compromise. Furnished only with the necessary table, chairs, and lights. We stopped in the anteroom and looked in through the one-way glass window. The boy waited alone at the interrogation table, trying to put up a tough, defiant front, but failing by the tremble of a lip and the occasional flick of his eyes.
6: Well, let's go in get it over with
3: kid stiffened when he heard the door open, but he didn't turn around. He just sat there at the table, braced and waiting.
6: You can take that chair at the side, Johnny. Okay, thanks. What's your name? You already know it. I said, what's your name? Mario Centaurs. That's your right name? Yeah. Where do you live? Roxman Place, my aunt. Ever been arrested before, Mario? No. You've got kind of a bad memory, haven't you? Why? September of last year. Arrest made by Officer C.J. Barton. Charge, possession of stolen articles. Hubcap, two autoradios, one camera. I wasn't convicted. I asked if you'd ever been arrested. Not convicted. It was a frame-up. I didn't have any evidence. No, apparently not. Witnesses for the prosecution refused to testify. Case dismissed. Here, what are you going to claim this time, Mario? Another frame-up? I don't know why you brought me in here. I don't know anything about anything. That bad memory again, huh? Hmm? <laughs> I just don't know what you're talking about.
3: It's lucky for us that Eddie Monty had such a good memory, isn't yes, it? Yes. What about a... Eddie? Huh? What, what do you mean?
6: Is he a friend of yours? I know him.
3: He's got a fine memory, that boy. Too bad you can't remember things the way he does. What are you talking about? Oh, that's true, all right.
6: Eddie remembers everything that happened. What he did, what Mario did. I don't know
3: what you mean. Well, that's because of your bad memory, Mario. Why, Eddie remembers the name of every boy who was in on that job and just what each one of them did. What job? That warehouse robbery. Have you forgotten about that? I don't know anything about
6: any robbery. Well, there's been a lot of talk. At least you've heard about it, haven't you? I don't know anything about it.
3: Maybe you've just forgotten.
6: I don't know what you're talking about.
3: When did you see Eddie last? I don't remember. Have you seen him since the robbery? No. How can you be sure? You said you hadn't heard of any robbery. What? I haven't. Still, you haven't seen Eddie since the robbery. Well, I...
6: Come on, Mario. Tell us about it. I guess maybe I did hear about it. So? Well, why shouldn't I hear? It was in the papers. Everybody's been talking about it, so what if I did
3: hear? That don't prove anything. But you said you hadn't heard. So I forgot. Guy can forget something, can't he? Yeah. If he's got a bad memory, he can. Mario's got a real bad memory, Johnny. Not Eddie, though. He remembers how you guys loaded those furs into his truck... How you waited across the street in Red Wellers until the prowl car passed. How you slugged the night watchman, Albert Christmas. That's a lie. How do you know it is, Mario? You don't even remember it. Eddie does, though. He even remembers the next night. When you stabbed Red Weller to death to keep him from coming to me. No. No, I didn't do that. Of course you did. You don't think Eddie would lie, do you? It's not true. Makes sense to us. Is Eddie here? Do you pick him up?
6: How would we know what he remembers unless we picked him up? Now, how do you think we got your name? Out of the telephone book? It's not true what Eddie says. Well, if you've got anything to say, we'll listen to it. But I don't think it's necessary. Do you, Johnny?
3: No, I think Eddie remembers everything. Let's get out of here. Yeah. He's lying!
6: You listen to me. I'll tell you the truth. I'll get a stenographer.
3: Now, here's our star to tell you about the final intriguing episode of this week's story. Tomorrow, a cautious search and ambush, bullets and tears, and the end is violence. Join us, won't you? Yours truly, Johnny Dollar.
0: And now, nerd news.
2: Nerd used to be a bad word. (laughs) King Arthur, the legend of the sword's disastrous opening in May 2017, vaulted it to the top of the list of the biggest box office bombs of the year, earning a measly $14.7 million in the US against a $175 million budget, plus marketing costs. So what happens now? You know what
4: happens now. You're quickly becoming a legend.
2: Yeah, a legendary flop. But director Guy Ritchie knows how to make big, loud, awesome action movies. Charlie Hunnam is a talented actor on the rise with all the qualities you could want in A Leading Man. Jude Law makes a great villain. So by Merlin's beard, how did The Legend of the Sword go so wrong? Out of Touch the Legend of the Sword is the latest in a string of studios trying and failing to put a fresh spin on old stories and properties, joining Ben-Hur, Chips, and The Legend of Tarzan in the Flophouse. Recycling familiar tales just isn't as profitable as it once was, unless you're Marvel, DC, or Disney. But it wasn't that long ago that Arthurian Legend was a cinematic goldmine, just ask the makers of 1981's Excalibur, which grossed $35 million against an estimated $11 million budget. Alas, the times have changed. Hollywood's last attempt at bringing the legend to the big screen, 2004's star-packed King Arthur, was also a widely panned flop, suggesting modern audiences just no longer have an appetite for Arthur. Behold, the man who pulled sword from stone. And if you actually were pumped for another Knights of the Roundtable flick, the multiple delays pushing back the release date by a whopping 10 months might have killed your buzz. TV killed the cinema star. When it comes to stabbing and shouting, we're spoiled for choice. Do we really need yet another big-screen King Arthur movie when we've got Game of Thrones and Vikings on demand? Television is the new home of the adventure epic, with hundreds and hundreds of hours available of the exact same kind of gritty and bloody entertainment The Legend of the Sword is offering up. Fans of swords and sorcery stories won't head out to the theater for this kind of thing unless they really feel like they can count on solid results. And the years of recasting rumors, with Idris Elba and Colin Farrell, among many others, attached to and then dropped from the project, did not bode well for the movie's final cut. Thin gruel. The almost entirely male-supporting cast in The Legend of the Sword aren't really fleshed-out characters like the ones fans love in HBO's epics, they're more like plot devices. King Arthur's cast does their best with what they've been given, but their thinly written characters have no real motivation outside of find Arthur, get him to wield Excalibur, and make him tell us what to do.
0: Now, when you say we're going to take the castle, what does that mean?
2: I thought you said you weren't going to push me. Come on, let's chop chop. Then there's the mysterious mage, the only prominent female character who only ever uses her immense power from a safe distance, secretly, and commands animals to do her dirty work. But when combat gets close, she's quickly overpowered, which just doesn't track. Why is she holding back? All in all, if your characters are a flop, your movie probably will be too. Epic Fail To recap, it's kind of no wonder this loud, violent, romance-free movie with poorly written characters bombed on Mother's Day weekend. It was beaten by the female-centric mother and daughter comedy Snatched, as well as the box office invincibility of Marvel and its Guardians of the Galaxy Vol. 2. Warner Brothers clearly overestimated moviegoers' hunger for this kind of entertainment, overlooking a major side effect of today's binge-watching culture. When it doesn't leave you satisfied, it leaves you stuffed, and paying 20 bucks at the box office for another bloated epic doesn't spell relief. Thanks for watching. Click the looper icon to subscribe to our YouTube channel.
4: Director Ridley Scott must have heard the screams of frustration as Alien fans left the theatre after watching Prometheus. While Alien Covenant continues to pose new questions about the origins of the classic monster, unlike Prometheus it provides satisfying answers and does so within the context of a more immediately enjoyable if somewhat cliched horror movie. Covenant begins, true to form, with a cast of strong characters emerging from hypersleep. They're pioneers, a mixture of engineers, scientists and pilots, transporting colonists in stasis to a distant planet. But during the long voyage, the crew is lured to what appears to be a better site for their new home. From here on, Covenant delivers a focus, suspense-driven story, as various members of the crew play host to a variety of vicious parasites which bursts forth in gruesome fashion. Scott even offers up an effective new rendition of the infamous chestburster sequence. It's an early statement of intent. The sterile musings of Prometheus violently give way to splintering ribs and blood-spattered med-bays. The alien remains one of the greatest monsters in all the cinema. Though it's still strange to see H.R. Giger's creation brought to life with computer animation, moving with such intense ferocity and speed. It's not badly done. In fact, the action scenes are often exciting and visually striking. It's just at odds with how that creature was originally used. In Covenant, you see it so nakedly, when before so much of it was mysteriously cloaked by the Nostromo's shadows. The procession of Slaughter also feels more heart-wrenching this time around, as the crew is composed entirely of married couples. While that might be a terrible idea for a real life crew, on screen it makes each death feel much more impactful, because it's mourned by the person who loved them most. Towards the end of the movie however, some of that invention dries up. The ending feels like a compacted version of the original Alien. I'm not sure if it's knowing self homage by Scott, or just a lack of new ideas for how to end this sort of movie. Sandwiched between the fresh first act and that somewhat more predictable conclusion, Covenant smuggles in a more thoughtful, philosophical second act. It's where the movie is at its most Prometheus-like in tone. It becomes ponderous, even a little pretentious, but unlike the divisive prequel, Covenant has some genuinely satisfying answers to make it pay off. It's unapologetically bold and brash in how it tackles such material, having characters quote Paradise Lost and listen to Wagner, but it sort of works for a couple of reasons. For one, the reveal of how and why the Xenomorphs were created is rewarding both dramatically within the terms Scott laid out in Prometheus and thematically for the series as a whole, and none of it would have worked without the performance of Michael Fassbender, who once again plays the ship's android. He delivers a lot of this stodgy material with ease, while gracefully wading through the melodrama of it all. Even when things around him become faintly ridiculous, he remains utterly compelling. Allow one hour before taking the purgative and please ensure to consume the requisite liquid and vitamin pack. Alien Covenant strikes a more favourable balance between the unwieldy philosophical ideas of Prometheus and the classic horror and suspense of the 1979 original. Despite continuing Prometheus' questionable line of inquiry into the Xenomorph's origins and occasionally adopting its histrionic tone for entire scenes, Covenant's framework and exciting action put enough new spins on the series' most reliable touchstones that the cast is able to carry it through to a satisfying end. And
0: now new releases
4: for this week
0: at a comic collector shop near you. Dark Horse Comics has Mass Effect Discovery No. 1, written by Jeremy Barlow and John Dombro. Cover art by Kate Emzik, art and cover art by Gabrielle Guzman. A young Turian military recruit goes undercover in order to infiltrate the mysterious Andromeda initiative and ultimately retrieve a scientist who's made a potentially devastating discovery. Tying in to the highly anticipated release of Mass Effect Andromeda, writers Jeremy Barlow and John Dombro and artist Gabriel Guzman team up to create the next exciting chapter of the Mass Effect Comics series. From Eisner Award-nominated writer Jeremy Barlow, Direct tie-in with Mass Effect Andromeda for PlayStation 4 and Xbox One. Top Secret variant cover by Kate Niemczyk. In Shops May 24th, 2017. Suggested retail price for this one is $3.99. Next up from DC Comics is Detective Comics number 957. Written by Genevieve Valentine and James Tynion IV. Art by Carmen Nunez Canero cover by Eddie Barrows. The Wrath of Spoiler. Stephanie Brown wants nothing more than to save Gotham City from the epidemic of costumed vigilantes and madmen that regularly tear the city apart. But before she can try to stop them, she must face the challenge of one in particular, the insane ideologue. The Wrath is back, and Stephanie knows what he has planned, but she refuses to let Batman risk more lives to stop him. That means it's all on her, and a very unlikely ally. Rated T, in shops on the 24th, suggested retail price, two ninety-nine. Also from DC Comics, Wonder Woman, number 23, written by Greg Rucker with art by Liam Sharp. The Truth, Part 5. The conclusion to Diana's search for the truth takes her on a journey into darkness. But the price of understanding may be one sacrifice too many for Wonder Woman. Rated T in shops on the 24th. Suggested retail price $2.99. IDW Publishing offers TMNT Universe number 10. Of course, that's Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles Universe, number 10. Written by Sophie Campbell, Bobby Curnow, and Brom Revell. Art by Sophie Campbell, Bram Revell And cover art by Freddie Williams II. Toad Baron's Ball, Part 2. There's seemingly no escape from Toad Baron's reveries, but Alopex and nobody must find a way before the next guests arrive. Namely, Toad Baron's Immortal and Deadly Family, featuring a backup story by Sophie Campbell, in Shops on the 24th, for a suggested retail price of $4.99. From Image Comics, Samaritan Veritas, number one, written by Matt Hawkins, with art by Atilio Rojo, a woman with a vendetta decides she's going to take down the largest military contractor in the world and has the means and a plan that just might work. How do you bankrupt one of the richest, most technologically advanced and successful companies in the world? You steal all their research and give it away to everyone. Can she survive long enough to pull it off with the entire U.S. government trying to kill her? In Shops on the 24th. Suggested retail price is three ninety nine. And now, from Marvel Comics, we have Venom, number 150. With Mike Costa and Gerardo Sandoval, creative team. Reunited, and it feels so good. Or feels so bad. However it feels, Eddie Brock and the Venom symbiote have been reunited. And they're web-slinging their way around New York again. Featuring a host of Venom creators from the character's near 30-year history, this monstrous anniversary spectacular welcomes guest artist Trad Moore for an oversized and brutal main story, and a lethal story featuring fan-favorite creators David Michelini and Ron Lim reunited, with questions still lingering about how the symbiote was separated from Flash Thompson, and what lies in its future now that it's reunited with Eddie Brock. This is one issue you can't afford to miss. Rated T+, in shops on the 24th. Suggested retail price is 5.99. Also from Marvel Comics, we have X-Men Blue number 4, written by Cullen Bunn, art by Julian Lopez and cover art by Arthur Adams. Snicked 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 rated T plus and shops on the twenty fourth. Suggested retail price three hundred ninety nine. From Valiant Entertainment LLC comes XO Man of War written by Matt Kent, art by Thomas Giorello and David Mack with cover art by Louis La Rossa. Their world became his war. Across every front line and through every trench, Eric of Dacia continues his hostile journey through a brutal alien planet, the only way he knows how, with war. But the man once known as XO Man of War is not alone. With a dedicated band of soldiers sworn to his side, Eric will prove his worth on the battlefield and find himself in a position that no one saw coming. The New York Times best-selling writer Matt Kent and Valiant exclusive rising star Thomas Giarello bring the punishing first act to Valiant's biggest series of the year to its final standoff and will leave readers everywhere reeling with a last page surprise. In shops on the 24th suggested retail price is three hundred ninety nine. And now for the trade paperbacks, starting with DC Comics, Superman, the final days of Superman. The host of creators, because this is a collected work, we have writing chores with Peter J. Tomasi, art by Paul Pelletier, Doug Mank, Ed Benez, Dale Eaglesham, Scott Eaton, Jorge Jimenez, Christian LeMe. Sandra Hope, Wayne Falker, John Livesay, Jaime Mendoza, Tom Gwynn, an art and Ardent cover art by Mikhail Janin. With his final days upon him, the Man of Steel reaches out to his loved ones and allies to say his goodbyes. Yet, while he does so, the world is greeted by new threats a dangerous being alive with fire who insists to Lois Lane and anyone else he meets that he is the one true superman and a black clad man whose appearance and powers mirror those of superman himself this collects superman number 51 to 52 action comics number 51 to 52 batman superman number 31 to 32 and Superman Wonder Woman, number 28 to 29. In shops on the 24th, suggested retail price for this one is nineteen ninety-nine. From Image Comics comes Moonshine, volume 1, trade paperback. Written by Brian Azzarello and art by Eduardo Rizzo. The first volume of the new hit series from writer Brian Azzarello and artist Eduardo Rizzo. The Eisner Award-winning creative team behind the crime classic 100 Bullets comes a brutal new series that puts a horror twist on a classic gangster tale. Set deep in Appalachia, during Prohibition, Moonshine tells the story of Lou Perlow, a city-slick torpedo sent from New York City to negotiate a deal with the best moonshiner in West Virginia, Hiram Holt. Lou figures it a milk run, but what he doesn't figure is that Holt's just as cunning and ruthless as any New York City crime boss. Not only will Holt do anything for his illicit booze operation, he'll stop at nothing to protect a much darker, bloodier family secret. Collects issues 1 through 6 in shops on the 24th for a suggested retail price of nine ninety nine. From Marvel Comics comes The Unworthy Thor Trade Paperback. Written by Jason Aaron and art by Aaron Kim Jacinto and cover art by Olivier Coipel. Unfit to lift his hammer and with someone else now welding the power of Thor. The Sun's desperate quest to regain his worthiness takes him out into the cosmos where he's learned of the existence of a mysterious other Mjolnir. This ultimate weapon, a relic from a dead universe, is the key to his redemption. But some of the greatest villains of the Marvel Universe are anxious to get their hands on it, including the Collector. And Thanos. And when the realm of old Asgard vanishes, all might be lost, unless good tidings from Beta Ray Bill offer fresh hope. The Odin son gets a new look and a new pet, but can he reclaim his honor, or will the power of thunder be welded for evil? Let the battle for the hammer commence, collecting unworthy Thor number one through five. Rated T-plus in shops on May 24th. Suggested retail price is Yea verily. From Aftershock Comics comes Alters Trade Paperback Volume 1 Written by Paul Jenkins and art by Laela Leis, Cover art by Brian Stelfreeze As the world struggles to accept the emergence of a new kind of human species known as alterations or alters, a young woman must navigate the path to becoming her true self while struggling with the complications of her civilian life and the responsibilities of her newfound power. This groundbreaking series, Years in the Making, begins the saga of a young woman who can only really be herself whenever she is not herself. Collecting issues one through five of the critically acclaimed series, plus the original short story from Aftershock Genesis One-Shot, written by Eisner winner Paul Jenkins and illustrated by Lila Laise. in shops on the 24th. Suggested retail prices, $14.99. And that's going to put the lid on the pull box for this week. Tune in next week, and we'll do this again with the whole list of new and interesting comics to dazzle your imagination and keep you company when things get boring. Alright, see you then. Out. And now we continue with an ongoing series, Arrest Proof Yourself, by Ira Harmon. As promised, this is part two of Arrest Proof Yourself, or is it part three? Anyway, Anyways, continuation of the previous broadcast about how to stay out of trouble with the law. I know you think, well, I'm not doing anything wrong. Why would I get in trouble? There are ways that you can get into trouble and this is to keep you out of trouble so listen and learn now I don't know about you but it's been an interesting week for me up to this point and so far so good for me anyway last Thursday as I sat by my window working on my laptop at three o'clock in the morning there came a ruckus outside there were voices pitched in anger and frustration at each other. One voice was unmistakably male. Now if you remember last Thursday, it was a warm night. The temperature was somewhere in the 70s. That's why my window was open in the first place. I was lost in my thoughts until my reverie was shattered by the Jerry Springer show breaking out under my window. I stood up to take a look out since the people were directly under my window and see my condo building is full of duplexes and it isn't more than three stories high I live on the top two floors in my unit and I was at the very top floor where my office faces the street and these people were so loud it was the same as me being at street level like they were shouting right in my window I don't know what had transpired to get everyone in such a heated boil but there was one young woman in nothing but her brown panties it may have been a two-piece bikini but i know a brown panties when i see them her victoria's secret was no longer a secret the best i could figure that was happening was that they were all enjoying themselves somewhere The four women and this one man, indoors, wherever that was, before some old wound was opened and it bled out into the street. The guy kept yelling at his woman to come with him, and he repeatedly insisted that she was with him. The woman in her underwear was standing with another young woman while the guy was running interference on his woman who was trying to get to the woman, I think, in the panties. She seemed to be a central player as well as his woman. And his woman looked turned up on drugs. She was damp from perspiration. Her eyes were glassy. Her weave was wet. Hot mess. That's what describes her perfectly. There was a fourth woman minding a baby carriage. She was further along down the sidewalk. Everyone else was trailing her. There was a young kid in it, the tot. Uh, I believe the kid belonged to the woman who was high. I only gleaned this from comments I heard from the woman with the baby stroller. She talked about the alcohol that was in the stroller, picked it up, looked at it, and put it back. Uh, It belonged to the woman that was all turned up, the damp hair weave chick. The skirmish went on for about 30 minutes. Everyone was actually kind of calm about things, except the woman in the weave and her insistent man. They were making the most noise, arguing the most. The two of them made enough noise for all six participants, including the baby, who should have been tucked in at home and sound asleep. Kids don't belong out on the street after 8 p.m., in my opinion not that young, and definitely not after the street lights come on. You know, once you have children, you really have to leave the streets alone. Besides, the police believe that anyone out lingering on the streets after midnight are up to no good. That's only partially true, as you'll hear later in my recap of Thursday's highlights. So, things quieted down as the group went Their separate ways, kind of like cellular mitosis, they pulled away gradually from each other. The young man got his wish and managed to force Thought Girl down the street in the opposite direction. And they faded into the night as Thursday began to set the stage for the rising sun. The day was born with the beautiful sunshine and rising temperatures heading for the 80s. Thursday was the first really nice day since February. I was thinking of taking a break from the computer around 9 a.m., you know, to maybe have some breakfast. By about 9.15, as I still sat there by the window in my office, enjoying the breeze from my window in the sunshine, there suddenly was the unmistakable report of five gunshots. Now, I grew up in Chicago, so I know gunshots when I hear them, especially when they're right outside my window, not more than 20 feet away. I looked out the window at the shooter as he turned to run through the parking lot and up an adjacent alley. Now, this is the alley where all the thugs seem to run when they're escaping the area on foot. It's like a portal to the escape dimension or something. The police arrived about 30 minutes later and collected shell casings. I could clearly see one it was glistening in the sun like some bright, shiny ghetto treasure on the sidewalk. This isn't the ghetto per se, but I guess it's just like that expression about heaven and hell being only different because of who dwells there. There was no red tape this time, so I guess the guys... That linger on the corner managed to escape the barrage of bullets. They can run pretty fast when bullets are loose in the air. Besides, this kid couldn't shoot worth a damn, and he likely carried his poor marks in school over to his poor marksmanship with a pistol. He did manage to shoot up a nice black Cadillac that was parked across the street from my car. It was Unlucky enough to be sitting in the line of his errant fire. Not sure if any people driving by on the busy boulevard caught any slugs or not. Somebody or something got hit. Five bullets, five hits. The intended targets got clear. There was a murder outside my window last fall. I know it was a murder because... This time the shooter was calm and methodical and the caliber of the weapon was larger. Eight shots were fired in slow steady succession. It was a deliberation of focus and aim. The shooter stood flat-footed and made the kill. I know he stood flat-footed because all the shell casings were in a cluster at the spot where the gun was fired, not scattered up and down the block from someone who would be running and gunning. This shooter, like I said, stood flat-footed, made the kill, then calmly got in the car and slowly drove away, like they were leaving a church social. Well, I only saw the one car and the one person getting in it, The police came and turned the area into a crime scene. My car was within the red tape because the shooter stood next to my car while he murdered whoever he murdered. So if I wanted to use my car to drive anywhere, that was not an option. I remember that it was a windy night because the evidence markers over the shell casings kept blowing away. And, uh... I heard eight shots, but there were seven markers, so one of the eight shells wasn't found. It probably rolled under a car in the dark or it blew away. But back to last Thursday. I continued to work through the day. What else am I going to do? Got to work, right? I was sitting by the same window enjoying the nice weather from the inside because I couldn't go outside because I was working. At about 7 p.m. there was the sound of gunfire again. It was close, just like the 9 o'clock gunfire, but this time it was at the other end of the alley. Everything was ironically the reverse of the 9 a.m. shooting. This time, the perpetrator ran toward my direction before he cut a right up the alley that acts as a portal to the escape dimension. This time, there were seven shots, but this time it sounded like two guns were firing at each other because their reports were different. Of course, the gun could have been loaded with mixed fruit, meaning different types of bullets of the same caliber. Police officers and FBI agents sometimes do that and they call it mixed fruit. There was three shots in a rapid succession, and like call and response, it was quickly followed by four shots. It was over just as quick as it started. Then, I saw the winner of the gunfight, as I already described, running up the alley into the portal of escape. This time, a young black man lay dead. I don't know if it was the nine o'clock shooter getting served some payback or not, because I refused to go down and gawk at it. That morning the guy running away was wearing a hoodie and mostly blue clothing. The seven o'clock shooter could have had a, could have been the same guy with the change of clothes and finally got his man, but He looked different to me in build, and they were about the same height, but the build and the running was different. And this guy wasn't wearing a hoodie, and he had on dark pants and a light or white top. And these guys, they have to hold up their pants while they run because the sagging gets in the way of running. The police came back and put up the red tape. The gawkers came out and watched the fire department scrape up the remains of what was another black life that didn't matter. After the sirens faded into the distance, everyone went back to staring into their cell phones and tossing litter and chalking it up to life in Chirac. There were sirens screaming up and down the boulevard all day well into the night. And the next day was a cold, wet dreary Friday, with nothing to report, because on dreary, cold, wet days, things are more peaceful. The warm weather will be back, and with it, more revenge killings and more senseless killing. It's because of this element of life in the big city that those of us who are not a part of the kill or be killed soap opera, have to protect ourselves from being wrongly profiled as cast members in this sad opera. We've got to go, we've got to do whatever it takes to avoid becoming a part of the system that sends the slave hunters out to capture and process as many of us that they can. We're in the middle with clowns to the left of us and jokers to the right we can mostly avoid the young thugs but the police are harder to avoid unless you arrest proof yourself you see some of us know some of these young thugs who don't think about how what they do affects the rest of us now the kid that got killed his family now has to spend several thousand dollars they weren't planning on spending for funeral services. Didn't think of that I suppose, didn't care. The other guy if if and when he gets caught is going to cost his family lots of money in legal fees and not to mention emotional overhead. So When you interact with these people, they're doing bad things. They might leave behind some contraband like a murder weapon, drugs, whatever they're doing in your car. Here are some tips on how to live so that you can survive the system and how it views you and how your relationship with these knuckleheads can catch you up in the criminal system. There's no fool like an old fool, and youth is wasted on the young. The combination of these two situations will land somebody in conflict with penal institutions, if not locked up inside one. There were shootings all across the city last Thursday, just like any other day. The two I witnessed that book ended the day were a drop in the bucket. Now consider this. Those people involved in all those shootings are connected to other people through friendships and family. The things that they do out here in the streets will affect those friends and family. They share meals with you, living space, ride in the car with you. A few months ago, a mother was having dinner with her two sons at a restaurant when gangbangers walked up and shot her sons to death right in front of her in the restaurant, turning what should have been a nice time out with her children into a tragedy that had immeasurable costs. So let's see, how can we protect ourselves from the residual and collateral damage that rubbing elbows with these idiots can cause? The traffic stop can change your life for the worse. You just gave your nephew or son or daughter and maybe a couple of their friends a ride across town. One of them is on prescription drugs, legally prescribed, such as Ritalin or Valium. And these pills spill out of their pockets or their book bags into your back seat. Maybe you loaned your car to a teenage driver or young adult, and they had some friends in the car, knucklehead friends. Maybe one of the friends stashed a handgun or some drugs in the car. The handgun may have been used in a murder. If you get stopped while driving this vehicle and the police find any of these things during a search, it's your ass on the line. Try explaining why you have a firearm used in a murder or drugs without a prescription. You're going to have some heavy bail and lawyer's fees to pay in addition to being put on the plantation. For life. You've got to clean your car thoroughly after loaning it to anyone. You've got to search it yourself if you've had children in your car. Next week we're going to talk about how you go about sweeping your car to make certain that none of these things are in there while you're driving it. But in the meantime, if you can keep other people from using your car or getting in your car, I would do so. Next week, we'll pick up where we left off because uh, I'm out of time. Gotta go. Unfortunately, two hours doesn't seem to be enough to shoehorn all this information. So next week, we'll pick up right here with how to sweep and clean your car. And then we'll tap into what happens if you do wind up in jail. Until then, be careful. (music) Till next week, when the can comes tumbling down, y'all come back now. Here.